Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Washera Community Church. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Josiah Grothy, and uh, we'd, we're very glad to have you all here with us. And an extra welcome to those who may be joining us uh, for the first time. Uh, our mission and purpose for Washera Community Church is that we are a gathered group of Christians who exist to give creative and meaningful worship to God and to discover and develop disciples of Jesus Christ. We strive to love God and love others fervently. All right, announcements for this week. First off, I'm, you know, I'm sure we're all getting better at this because as I was cramming in with my very small family, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, it's eight of us at this point. Um, get as close to the people next to you as you can. So as new folks come in, we have room for everybody here. Um, there are little connection cards, I believe, on your seats. Um, so if you want to fill those out and, and leave them in the basket, uh, just so that we can get to know a little bit about you and, and how to reach you, all of those things. This is the uh, Sunday that we dedicate for specifically for benevolence. So there is a... Uh, little basket in the back of the church on your way out uh, if you would like to donate or tithe to that. Um, and benevolence is used specifically for things like heating, food, um, other utilities uh, for people in our congregation who are having a hard time uh, meeting those uh, obligations. Sunday school classes uh, afterwards, 11 a.m. to 11.45 every Sunday, including today, obviously. There is a singles lunch at Lakeshore this afternoon at 12. So if you'd like to be a part of that, go over to Lakeshore at noon. And then on the 25th of this month, February 25th, is that a Saturday? Saturday the 25th, um, there is a men's breakfast. Uh, there's a sign up at the welcome desk. And then there are some seats here that say reserved. I don't actually know where they are. Okay, well, if you see reserve, don't sit in that spot. Oh, the back row. Okay, there we go. There's, yeah, there's a couple of them now. They are reserved seats for a purpose, this says. All right. With that, let's bow our head in prayer and uh, say thank you to our Lord for this day that he's given us. Dear Jesus, we thank you for the day, this wonderful weather we've been given these last few days and, and the upcoming week. Um, may we use this time wisely. Lord, help us to grow in our faith and our love of both you and those around us, our family, our friends, our community. Help us to be a shining light. Help us to be wholly committed to you and to put aside all of those distractions and things that can get, make us busy and, and lose focus on what is most important in our life. Lord, bless this day and this time in fellowship together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to call you to rise with us as we continue to sing. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I always like to go into this prayer time um, with praise. And um, I want to say a big praise out 
um, to all of you. If you were here last Sunday and you stayed for the Come For More, and after that, right around noon, there was, a, there was an accident that happened right at our intersection out here, and there was a fatality. And so, but I want to thank all of you that were here at that time that I saw people just standing and praying. And I saw people get in their cars, and of course, we, you couldn't go that direction, so you had to go the other way. But there were people praying um, for whoever was in, involved in that. And so I want to say thank you for that. And I'm going you know, to pick on a couple of people this morning. Rebecca, would you come up here? And Ellie, would you come up here? Ellie, come on up. These two ladies jumped right into the fray of it, and they were right there to help. And I just want to, we need to give them just some appreciation. I know they represent a lot of different people, but, oh, it was so <laughs> thankful to see these two ladies just step right into the fray. Yep, Scott was there too, but we always clap for Scott. <laughs> kind of, <laughs> can we just, I mean, just appreciation for these ladies taking us, taking that time, yeah. And, yeah, you stay right up here. We're going to pray for these families. We're going to continue to pray for these families that were affected um, by that last Sunday. And um, let's also pray for our missionary. And I've forgotten who our missionary is this week. Is it uh, the Rizzies? Dennis and Vinia. Okay, we're going to pray for our missionaries. And we're going to pray for our offering. And we're going to do all that. And I get flanked here. This is a thorn between two roses. Just so if you want to know, there's a thorn in between two roses here. Because they, were, they really just stepped in and said, we need to help. And God gifted them also with the talents that he gave them to, to step into that. You prayed. You prayed. Yeah. So let's bow our heads in prayer. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. And we do think um, many of us were here when that happened. And we think also of the families. One lost a loved one. Um, other ones are recovering, of course. And we just continue to pray your hand upon them. I thank you for the church family that stopped and prayed uh, wherever they were at when, once they realized what was going on. I thank you for these ladies that represent um, um, all those people that first responded you know, to that situation. But these ladies, I thank you that they saw the need and, and stepped into it, Lord. And uh, continue to help us, Lord, as a whole church body, as we see needs around us, to step in, to say, okay, Lord, you've put this right in front of me. Help me, Lord. Direct me, Lord, to step into this and help out however I can. And, uh, Lord, we pray for our missionaries. We pray for them every, every Sunday. And, and thinking of uh, Dennis and Vania this morning and their, their, their mission uh, over in Africa and, and the different things that are going on there and training of pastors and, and uh, reaching out to the communities that they are in, Lord, your hand upon them. And, Lord, we always finish this time just so thankful to be able to give to you to you've provided everything that we've needed and lord to be able to turn back around and say lord we want our these resources to go to further the kingdom of god and so we're thankful to be able to give our tithes and offerings unto you with a with a grateful heart this morning so we ask this in your precious and holy name amen amen thank you gals yeah um kids come on up go ahead ushers Kids, come on up here. I want to show you something this morning. 
come on up. Find a seat right up here so you can see me. Don't get too far spread out, okay? Yeah, find a spot, find a spot. Hello. Yep, I got something to show you this morning. And you probably know what it is. What is this? A phone. A phone. What kind of phone? Apple. No, it's not an apple. <laughs> a cell phone. Yeah, let's just call it a cell phone. Okay, let's see. Pastor Adam, that's the only phone that they know. Yeah. Yeah, at least I, I did graduate from the flip phone. So anyways, but so for this cell phone to work, what's, what's inside of this cell phone? Does anybody know? what? There's a battery. There's a battery in it. Yeah. And so if there's a battery in here, which there is, what do I need to do at times with this cell phone? Charge it. So what's this? Yeah, sometimes this is like the most important thing right here. I always get asked by my wife, did you remember your charger? Yeah, not if I remember my cell phone. But so if this phone is going to work, at times I have to plug it in and I have to plug this into the wall and I charge back up the battery, right? Well, I want us to think about this cell phone like being yourself. And if you're a Christian... uh, there's Jesus inside of you. Jesus is part of your life. You're in Christ. If you're a Christian, you're in Christ. But even those who are in Christ, like the battery, what do we have to do sometimes? Charge up. Yes, we have to charge up. Can you think of ways that we charge up with Jesus on a regular basis? How would you charge up with Jesus? Mercy? Love others. Yes, that's a good one. Praying. That's a good one. Did you have another one? That you were going to say praying? Can you think of any other ones? How you would charge up with Jesus so that it doesn't run down. Loving him. Loving him. Yeah, that's a good one. Reading the Bible. That's a great one. Way down on the end. Coming to church. Following the Ten Commandments. Well, I think you guys got it. I think you understand how there are ways that we charge up. We charge up. And this is one of those times on Sunday morning when we come. We get to charge up on Jesus. So let's bow our heads for prayer before you go to your kids' class. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. And we do thank you that we have these avenues that you have given to us. You've actually provided them. You've provided a church family. You've provided your words. You've provided an avenue to be able to pray to you. All these things the kids have said. And I pray that we would take advantage to be charged up with Jesus. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Who's my directors here this morning? Oh, come on right up here so that they can follow you out. You ever done that where you're in a room and somebody's waving at you? You think? And you kind of wave back, and you're like, I have no clue who that is, but I'm going to, you know, that's kind of what happened there. It was like this, and I thought, I'm on. You know, I came up, and I'm not on. Uh, That was for Robert, so uh, that was funny. guess you had to be me to have that be funny. But anyway, (laughs) as I awkwardly stood here and just smiled at all of you, that was, what a joy for me to be here, though. Um, I so enjoy the opportunities to come around to our churches. 
and to be able to share my heart for what God is doing, to hear stories of redemption, to pray for stories of transformation. Um, just a couple quick ones to give encouragement, and I want to say thank you to you as a church family. Because of your partnership with the Forest Lakes District, does anyone know where Rhinelander, Wisconsin is? They're like a yeehaw here. Population, 8,124. Yeehaw. Um, because of your, the Hodags, yes, because of your partnership in the gospel and with the Forest Lakes District, there is now this morning a group of Christ followers meeting in Rhinelander, Wisconsin, where a church in um, St. Germain and a church in Maryland, Wausau, partnered and said, let's come together. And there's a church that's meeting. It's only started in September, but yet there's over 100 people already meeting there. And praise the Lord, yes. You are part of that story because of your partnership. Also, um, Lord willing, in April, we have our district conference, which will be down in the Madison area. It's a one day and would encourage you to come. Uh, Colin Smith, who's a wonderful Bible teacher, is going to be coming, talking about how to uh, persevere as a, as a leader. And so it's for uh, all leaders in the church, and would love to have you come on the 24th of April. It's a one-day Monday. Um, but uh, one of the things that's happening, Lord willing, that day is we're going to welcome in three new churches into the Forest Lakes District. So that's exciting. And uh, we just welcomed in the first evangelical Arabic church in Wisconsin. So, praise the Lord, some, <clears throat> some people who are in the, the Muslim faith, who've stepped into, into the light <laughs> and have given their lives to Jesus Christ. And in Milwaukee today, there's an Arabic church because of your partnership with us. One, one other story that I want to share, we prayed for some missionaries this morning. By way of encouragement to you, 100 years ago, last year, in 1922, there was a missionary, the first Swedish missionary from the United States, the Evangelical Free Church, to go to Congo, Africa. And today, because of that Evangelical Free Church missionary going that was sent by the churches here in the United States, in Congo, West Africa today, there are over 1,400 churches in Congo with guess how many Christ followers attending those churches? Almost 2.5 million people. Isn't that amazing? So to that, we give all the praise, all the glory, all the honor to Jesus Christ. But I do want to say thank you because you're part of that redemptive story that is being told and being written. And so thank you for your part in proclaiming Jesus Christ, as Acts 1.8 says, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And you're part of that redemptive story. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, if you'd open them to Matthew chapter 28, the last chapter of the book of Matthew. If you find yourself in Job, you need to go to the right. If you're in one of the Corinthians, you flew over the top of it, and you've got to go back to the left. Matthew is the first gospel of the New Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels, Matthew chapter 28. As I did all that talking, hopefully you found your way there. This morning we want to think about 
Jesus' mission for the church. I think there's a deep-seated desire within every one of us, if we were if we were honest this morning, that we all desire for our lives to really truly matter and to count. That we could come to the end of the race and we could say, I gave it my all and my life mattered for something. Well, in in the early 1950s, the SS United States was built for a cool $79.4 million. What a, a cheap price tag. <laughs> this ship was the largest ship ever built in the United States. Most of them are built over in Europe, but this one is the largest ever built in the United States, and it still holds the record as the fastest transatlantic crossing in both directions. The United States Navy uh, contributed to its design so that it could be a rapid deployment of troops into theaters of conflict. And so they paid part of it and they had part of its design so that 10 to 15,000 soldiers could rapidly be deployed. The ship is 100 foot longer than the Titanic and it maintained an uninterrupted schedule of transatlantic passenger service until being decommissioned in 1969. However, it was never ever used as a troop ship, part of its original design. Today, the SS United States is docked at Pier 82 on the Delaware River in Philadelphia. I bet you could buy it on eBay for $2.50. They don't know what to do with it, to scrap it for metal, to turn it into a museum. So therefore, it just sits. And if you were to go to Philadelphia today, you could see it docked there. Well, in Matthew 28, 16 to 20, there's a reminder from Jesus that the church is a troop carrier, not a luxury liner. The church is a war vessel, not a tourist attraction. We as a church are to be on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in Matthew chapter 28, these last five verses of Matthew's gospel, here they capture with profound significance some of the final instructions that Jesus gave that are for us today in 2023 as well. So we pick up in Matthew 26 verse 32, just it says, Jesus speaking at the Last Supper to his disciples. Can you close your mind, close your eyes, and picture in your mind Jesus with his followers up celebrating the Passover, which to this day is celebrated by the Jewish people, which is a reminder of the time in which they were slaves in Egypt. And Moses came and said to Pharaoh, Let my people go. And Moses heard a one word answer from Pharaoh, No. And so God levied out plagues on the Egyptian people, and finally the culminating final straw for Pharaoh to say yes was the Passover where the death angel came, and if there wasn't blood applied to the doorpost, the oldest child in that home would perish. So when that happened, Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, get out of here. So to this very day, they're celebrating. So you see Jesus, he's in the upper room with his disciples, and he's commemorating the Passover feast. 
while he's there, he says to them, after I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. Now, on the first Sunday morning after Jesus had died, angels announced his resurrection in verse 7 of Matthew 28 to the women who came to the tomb. The angel said to them, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you. There you will see him. See, I have told you. The women leave the empty tomb. I'm sure their minds are filled with all sorts of thoughts of, I mean, it's not every day you encounter an angel, right? So there's an angelic encounter. There's a message to go tell the disciples that Jesus is alive and that they are to go to the place where he told them to meet them. And then they walk out, and in verse 10 of Matthew 28, it says that they ran into what, whom they thought was the gardener, but it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This interaction that the disciples have with Jesus in his resurrected state is the eighth post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. So in Matthew 28, verses 16 and 17, it says, now the 11 disciples. Why were there just 11 present? Because Judas had taken his own life. He had betrayed Jesus with a kiss, received 30 pieces of silver, and gone out and taken his own life. And so it was the 11 disciples. It says they went north to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed him, directed them. And when they saw him, it says they worshipped him, but somewhat. They all worshipped him, but some doubted. Notice the tension in this scene. Let me replay the last 72 hours of what had transpired. They were in the upper room celebrating the Passover. Jesus institutes communion with the bread and the wine and says, this is the way in which you will remember me as often as you drink it and you eat this and you'll proclaim my death till I, till I come again. And I'm sure there are all sorts of thoughts that were racing around in the minds of the disciples. Earlier that week, they had watched Jesus triumphantly come into Jerusalem on a donkey and they had heard people say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now they have the Passover. Then Jesus says, let's go to the gardens. They go down out of this upper room where they were to a garden called Gethsemane. And Jesus begins to pray. Now, I, I don't know about you. I, I mean, I don't want to be too hard on the disciples. How many of you have been praying and fallen asleep? All right, I mean, good place to be honest in church. Um, they fell asleep, and several times Jesus comes back and says, couldn't you just pray with me for a while? And they didn't understand the magnitude of what was going on. It says that Jesus was so burdened that he was actually even sweating. There was, there was blood because of his the capillaries because he was so passionate about what was going to take place. He who knew no sin, yet for your sake, for my sake, he was going to take on the sins of humanity. And he who knew no sin was going to take that sin so that we could be right with God and we could have God's righteousness in exchange for our sin. I was in Bible college and I, I, I was working nights and when the disciples came, Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He was kind of giving an out for falling asleep on, on, on their prayer duty. 
I remember I was working nights and I was in the front row of a theology class at seven in the morning and I fell asleep. And, and I must have been doing a little snoring too. The professor comes over and says, John! And I wake up and I say, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And he goes, that's not going to cut it. Wake up. But here are the disciples. They're in the garden. And then later in that time, here comes, you can see the torches coming through the night. With some soldiers, with some of the members of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling tribunal. And here comes Judas, and Judas comes over and plants a kiss on Jesus' cheek. Peter, probably with still sleep in his eyes, pulls out a, a knife. I don't think he was aiming for the guy's ear. Wops off the guy's ear, probably with sleep in his eyes. Jesus does a miracle right there, puts the guy's ear back on. I mean, that had to be something else, too. And then, remember, they all worshipped, but some doubted. Remember the, in the text, what happened next? Everybody, they left. Jesus is then arrested and taken to a place where he meets Herod. Peter's in the background. He just told Jesus earlier, though everybody else denies you, not me, I'm your guy. Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, here. Before the crow of the chicken in the morning, the rooster, you're going to deny that you know me three times. Peter, warming himself by the fire, vehemently denies that he knows Jesus, and they say, you're from Galilee. You sound just like one of them. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And then a third time he says, no, I'm not. And Jesus walks by. And he sees the one he had just told he would never deny that he would go all the way to the end with. And he hears the rooster crow and recognizes that what Jesus had told him just hours earlier had come to fruition. I'm sure he was downcast and heartbroken. The only person that we re read about in Scripture that was present at Christ's crucifixion was John. John was there with Mary. Jesus looks from the cross and says, here's your mom. John, here's your mother. Take care of her. He then says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And it is finished. So then 72 hours or thereabout transpire. And here are these 11 told that they were supposed to go to this pre-appointed place to meet Jesus. The women come back and say, you're supposed to go to this place to meet Jesus, the side of this mountain in Galilee. Can you see the tension in the text? What has transpired in their previous 72 hours? And here comes Jesus. They all worshipped, but some doubted. Not a promising way for Jesus to kick off the church, was it? It's important to note that Matthew did not record that those disciples remained doubtful. Ten of these eleven disciples died a martyr's death for following Jesus Christ. Suddenly it all made sense, his death and his resurrection. The mission that Jesus was about to entrust to these eleven 
so radically transformed them that as they arrived in Thessalonica, the locals said this about these men in Acts 17.6. They said, these men who have turned the world upside down, they're here also. It's great to know that these men who were doubtful did not remain in their doubt, but became ambassadors of Jesus Christ for the very point of giving their lives. Friends, the power of the good news of Jesus' death, His resurrection, still has the power to turn the world upside down. Jesus then outlines His mission for the followers and for you and for me today as the church. Three parts of His mission for us. The first thing that He says is that Jesus said He has all authority. He's been given all authority. Matthew 28, verse 18, he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This mission that Jesus is laying out for these 11, this mission that he's laying out for us today, rests on a claim. The claim is, I have been given all authority in heaven and in earth. Jesus, we know, is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. But what he claims here is all authority. Friends, power is the ability to get things done. Authority is the jurisdiction and the legal right to use power. An illustration I use this comes from an area I've been involved in refereeing high school and college basketball for 29 years. And in the world of basketball, the athlete has all the power to move the ball up and down the court, to jump, to shoot, but the referee has the authority to restrict, penalize, disqualify the athlete. The athlete has the talent, the fan support. I'm telling you, I didn't have anybody in the stands rooting for me this day when I was at the at the Cole Center refereeing. My wife was the only one cheering for the guy wearing stripes. Everybody else was boo. The boo birds were around. All that the referee has is a whistle. However, the authority of the referee trumps the power of the athlete. The authority the referee claims over athletes in basketball, Jesus, my friends, claims over the entire universe. There are no protests, no instant replays, no commissioner's judgments to overrule Jesus Christ's authority. He said, all authority has been given to me. You know, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, it's recorded how his authority played out. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 29, it says that they looked at his teaching and they heard his teaching and they said he taught as one who had authority. They were in awe because what he said was authoritative. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 13, he had the authority to cleanse lepers from their disease. He healed all sickness. He had power over sickness and disease. In Matthew 9, verse 6, he had the authority to forgive sins. He forgave a man of his sins. In Matthew 10, verse 1, he had authority over Satan and all of his demonic hosts, where he told them to be quiet and to leave. Friends, Jesus' authority is universal, it's unrestricted, and it's inexhaustible. Jesus was given all authority because he's the creator and the sustainer of all things. Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
wherever thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities are. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in, and in him all things hold together. Do you ever feel as if or think that the world is just spinning out of control? May I bring you back to this verse? Jesus has been given all authority. And in him, friends, all things are being held together. Even though it appears that this world is spinning out of control, he's holding all things together. After his resurrection and his death, it says he was given all authority over heaven and earth. Philippians 2, 8 through 11, Paul went on to write, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of this obedience and humbling, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Friends, may I appeal to you that these words are true. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, the question is, when are you going to bow your knee and when are you going to confess with your mouth? There's an opportunity today to bow your knee and to confess that Jesus Christ is God's Son to the glory of the Father. To believe in Him, to ask Him to forgive you of your sins, to repent, to turn from your sins, and then turn in faith to Christ's work. And you bow your knee today to Him as your Savior. There's an opportunity. And many in this room, many in this room, I, 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 would, I would imagine have come to a place in their time in their life where they have bowed their knee, confessed with their mouth that Jesus Christ is God's Son who died on the cross for their sins, was buried and rose again, and in faith they've turned to Him in repentance and asked Him to save them from their sin. And He now is their Savior. You know, however, friends, there will come another time and it's called the Great White Throne Judgment. And at the Great White Throne Judgment, people will bow their knee and they will confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is God's Son, that He is Lord to the glory of the Father. The distinction, the difference, however, between bowing your knee to Him as Savior, here you are bowing your knee to Him as Judge. And what you will hear, if you reject Jesus as Savior, you will hear Him as judge and He will look at you and He will say, depart into eternal conscious punishment forever. I never knew you. I never knew you. Your name is not written here in the Lamb's Book of Life. So friends, when Paul said every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, it will happen. Either we'll do it here as our Savior. Now I beg you, if you've never bowed your knee and confessed your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, do it today. Find someone who can pray with you, encourage you. Otherwise, there will come a day 
then as your judge, you will bow your knee and confess with your mouth that he is Lord. He's been given all authority, friends. And we struggle with authority figures. It, honest, right? Do you sometimes struggle with authority figures? Yeah, some, yeah, right? <laughs> Why do we do that in our fallen world? Well, we have authority. Sometimes there are people who abuse those under their authority. Not so with Jesus, friends. He uses his authority for our good. That's why John 10.10 says, The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly or to the full. Since Jesus has given all authority, friends, we can obey him without fear and we can trust him wherever he leads us. So this commission that he's about right to outline here rests on a statement where he has been given all authority. What a comforting thing when you put your head on the pillow at night to know that all authority, everything is under, under Jesus. The second thing that he says here in this mission is, he said, make disciples of all people. Verses 19 and 20 say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, or the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You know, at first glance, it looks as if the commission, the mission is to go. But a more accurate rendering is, while you are going, make disciples of all people. While you are going, as you are on your way, make disciples of all people. Then we, we discover how to make disciples. We baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. First we must go. Romans 10, 14, and 15 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they... How are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. First Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts honor or set apart Christ as Lord or Christ the Lord as holy and then always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. Friends, the mission of the church is to be going disciples for a coming Christ. We're to be going disciples for a coming Christ who is returning. Then after we go, we baptize those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, not for salvation, but for obedience and identification with Christ's work. When one is baptized, it's a declaration that we are part of obedience to what Christ himself did and we follow him in identifying with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Not for salvation, but for obedience and identification. And then thirdly, we teach disciples to observe all that Jesus commanded them. All that he said that we're to do. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all of Scripture is God-breathed, is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So to teach means to instruct. Jesus' words are power, life, and truth. And his words bring light into darkness and hope to where there's hopelessness. And disciples move beyond hearing God's word and obeying God's word, as James 1.22 says, where it says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. I would say that the average person in the church today is educated beyond their level of obedience. 
may I say that again? The average person in the church is educated beyond their level of obedience. We know what God's Word says. We need to continue to learn and go to Sunday school classes, be in small groups, sit in circles where you share life and talk about how God is applying His Word to your life and your daily existence. But we need to be obedient to that which we already know. And we have the opportunity to go and be obedient. Well, in closing, and that only means that Pastor Adam, when he says in closing, he's about done. When I say in closing, I'm almost done too. The third thing that Jesus said is that this mission rests on a claim that he's been given all authority. He said, go and make disciples. And then lastly, he said here in this text that he would be with us always. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, there's no greater comfort than Jesus is with us. Jesus has been with his disciples, the context here, for the last three and a half years. He said, stop, we're going to sleep here tonight. He said, get up, we're going to go here tomorrow. Now he left them, and he was going to send a comforter, the one who would guide them into truth, the Holy Spirit. And not only that, he was just now commissioning them to the greatest work in human history, to be his disciples and ambassadors. Remember who Jesus' disciples were. They're not what I would call first-round draft choices. They were regular people, fishermen, a tax collector. Some of them had clearly had anger issues. One frequently said the wrong thing at the wrong time, and yet from this group, who would be sufficient for the grace of all commissions? Not one of them, but they were normal people just like you and like me, yet entrusted with the greatest mission of all time, making disciples Christ's followers. So I love what 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 29 says. If you look at me and you say, John, I'm just a nobody. God can't use me. Well, I'm going to just say to you, you're in good company. Because Jesus is looking for people that will be obedient. And in 1 Corinthians 1, 27, 29, Paul said, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The final words Jesus gave to his disciples, I am with you always. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan was a, a pastor of a previous generation in his ministry. He was visiting a couple of widows as a young man. and He read this passage to them that says, I am with you always to the end of the age. He visited these Elderly women, and one of the ladies looked at him and said, Young man, that is not a promise, it's a fact. It's not just a promise, it's a fact. I'm living the fact that Jesus is with me. Last year I was on sabbatical, and my wife and I were in Florida, and my mom, uh, we received word that she had fallen three times in Iowa, and the last time she broke her elbow and her pelvis and was going into hospice in Iowa. And so... My wife said, we think, I think we should cut our sabbatical short and let's just drive right back to Iowa to be with mom. So we did that. And, you know, one of the things that even to this day, um, she came out of hospice. She won't walk again. Lord willing, we're going to go see her on February 26th. I have a free weekend. We're going to go down and see her. But one of the things I'll lay in bed at night and think is mom's all alone. And if she were to go home to be with Jesus, she's ready to go see Jesus. My dad, who was a pastor for 50 years, went home to be with Jesus in 2015. But I sit there and I say, I don't want her to be alone. 
And this passage comforts my heart. I just leaned in and kissed her on the forehead and said, Mom, you're never alone. Jesus is with you all the way to the end. And she says, I know he is. Friends, when Jesus gave us this mission, he said he has all authority. He said, go, baptize, teach. And he said, I'm with you all the way to the end. Father, thank you this morning for your promises. Thank you for this mission. I pray, God, for these dear ones. Lord, if there's one here today who does not know Jesus as personal Lord and Savior, we ask that your Holy Spirit would reveal to them who Jesus is. May they, this be the day of their salvation where they bow their knee to you as Savior. Lord, comfort those who this morning may need comfort to know that, God, you are with them. And thank you for this mission, Lord. I pray, Lord, that this community, this county would be turned upside down for Jesus Christ because people in this room take seriously the mission that we have been entrusted with. And God will be careful to give all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor to you. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Thanks, John. It's good teaching. Amen? Um, Scott Aberderis, one of the elders here, and it's an honor to be an elder to serve you and to serve him. Um, so hopefully you got the takeaway. You know, we're committed to carry out the Great Commission as Christ followers, as Christians, right? Christ followers. Um, and to some, that may be scary. And to others, you may not feel very confident uh, to carry that out. But I want to encourage you that in all things, the coming and the going, the past, the future, the weeping and the rejoicing, He will be with you. Amen? So, Verse 18 of the teaching today says, All authority has been given to Jesus, and therefore each of you should go with the power of his promise. So number 6, 24 says this. This is the blessing for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen? So as you go, Walk in his power and his authority. Have a great week.